Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Hope you enjoyed your trip to Israel. It was, as always, incredible. And that message uh, resonates. And every time I have to leave, you think about why, especially after a week like this with the elections here, you think about what the future will hold for us here. Yeah. And by the way, people who don't... People don't understand the uh, severity of your words who are outside the New York area because in New York, uh, we are watching now over the last uh, year, and it is a, it is a year, uh, including this week, uh, candidates who are not very favorable to our community. Let's put it that way, although that is a pretty general statement. Uh, winning elections and having uh, uh, undue and uh, an unexpected influence. And who knows, you know, God has these machinations that we've seen over the last uh, couple of thousand years. Who knows what the future holds for both American jury and jury in the New York area? And I'm sure you ponder that constantly. We confront it constantly, and especially when we saw a study this week that showed that uh, some 20% of Americans, when asked should, can small businesses refuse service to Jews because it's religiously offensive or offensive to them on those grounds, and the answer that 20% of Americans said yes. Unbelievable. That is and, unbelievable. And I wonder what they would have said if you would have put in any other ethnic group. Exactly. In and that that's, uh, they did study others. We didn't get the full study, but this came out, and, and people then accepted. I mean, we just believe that this is commonplace and, and the way things are, and it, sh- it's, it's, um, it shows how, as in Mitzrayim, you know, they kept adding one layer, one layer, and the Jews kept saying, we could take it. We keep raising the bar on what we will tolerate, rather than saying, look at this, this is outrageous. And unfortunately, there are, are many outrages that we see. While we're focused on some <laughs> on, the, on the negative, maybe I should get all my negative stuff out of the way here early on in this conversation, I am, I am tired of watching noticeably Jewish people demonstrate on the streets of New York against Israel. I have had it with this. And I recall, and, and this is, you know, these are stories that I heard from my father, I recall when there was Jewish leaders, and this is, I'm, being, I'm being serious, I'm not knocking you or anybody else in leadership positions, it's a totally different time. But I, there was a time when Jewish leaders would go to these Hasidic leaders and say to them, we will fight your case and we will bring your causes to whoever you want us to bring it to. Prime Minister of Israel, etc., etc. Just keep these demonstrations off the streets. Keep them out of the public eye. And I guess there's just nobody who can control them anymore in this era. Uh, and, and, it, and, it, and, and, it, and it gets distressing. And I know that there's there are people who tongue-in-cheek say, you know, that the Prime Minister of Israel say it's the best thing for Israel because, you know, people find out <laughs> more and more about how powerful the state is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All that is a joke as far as I'm concerned. And it, it, just, it just, I don't know, it gets to me once in a while. I brought this up with you before. It gets to me once in a while. And yesterday was just another one of those occasions. Well, first of all, it's, it's Jews from the left, Jews from the right, Jews who have all sorts of agendas. Uh, those who are more visibly Jewish obviously gain more attention because it's a it's, um, man-bites-dog story and that the media loves, and they, they like to exploit it, and then it justifies it. And even those who, who, who borderline anti-Semitic and certainly anti-Israel, 
and those who, who engage in the, in the rhetoric, but they can then justify and say, well, it's not just us. Look at these people, and whether it's it's those who are organizing and, and do things from uh, the, the left perspective, those who are in Jews for uh, justice uh, or, or in Palestine or whatever names that they come up with, uh, and especially young people who are manipulated into joining it. M- many, many, many years ago, decades ago, I went to see some of the Rebbe's about about this very topic, and they disowned the, the people who, who engage in the flag burning and other activities and said it's not our way. But he said, look, you have your crazy people and can't control them, and we have ours. And I think that the, you know, the ostracism that the community can impose and can set standards is, is really essential. And the power of the pocketbook, as I've said many times, is the most valuable tool. I don't think you should go on the streets and beat people up, and I don't think you know that, that violence is the answer in this case. I do think, though, that there are ways to pressure and to, to root out, because it's, it's generally a small group who engage in it. But then when they get the imprimatur of, of established uh, leaders and um, uh, schools, she vote and stuff, then that changes the rules. Oh, no question about that. Um, and finally, on the... <laughs> Uh, on, on the more depressing news, um, I, I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch it, but when you, but maybe the previous night you did. But when you when you see the Democratic debate take place, do you sometimes say to yourself that you just can that you, you can't take anybody at their word anymore? You cannot, you you it, it, it's it's impossible to to believe all these people that you know want to get the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. It's like I don't know. I I just. I feel that so many of them continue to lose their credibility as they flip flop on issues, as they go back and forth on you know with reaction to different things, including Israel. By the way, not that it came up in the debate, but yesterday I saw a uh, um, uh, an interview done by the New York Times with every one of the candidates with questions about Israel, and it just you don't know what to believe anymore. You know what I'm saying? I do, and this is an age when we have complete coverage. You have twenty four seven. Uh, you know, internet coverage and cable coverage. Uh, the fact is that international affairs hardly matters in this election so far, right. and uh, it's all, all criticism and the the race to the left and, and to adopting and embracing socialism and all sorts of things that are, are it's almost impossible to to conceive and, and think about it. And the same thing on the right, to going to the extremes on, on the right. And the loss of the political center, I do think that things will come back after the that right now in the primaries people generally tend to the left and then in the general elections uh, move more toward the center um, but you know with all the important issues and things just in in the days the, the, while these debates were going on, whether it's the uh, events in in Bahrain or the three way uh, meeting of the of the leadership with iran's threats and the the you know, coming apart now, the JCPOA potentially, if the the threats that Iran is making of resuming its its uh, nuclear program, or demonstrating that it in fact already has, in in, in the sense that it has 300 kilograms of of enriched uranium. By, enriched. by the way, that's the only foreign policy issue that's coming up in these debates. That who's running fast enough to get rid of the to go back to the Iran deal? <laughs> that's the right. That's and the only, only I think one said that they would redo it at least in the first debates. Um, the, 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 you know, you have the, these gross violations and, and really people are not paying attention. And I raise it at some of the meetings and, and 
you know, people, I know they glaze over when we talk about it, but we see that they're gearing up to enrich uranium closer to weapons grade. They're saying it. They're saying that they already have this huge stockpile. They're giving ultimatums to the Europeans if they don't come up with an alternative structure. This uh, Instax, which is supposed to replace the the SWIFT system, which is under U.S. sanction, um, that Iran is saying that we're going to uh, withhold well they they gave them an extra few days now to come up with a solution, but saying that if you don't come up with it uh we are gonna we're gonna withdraw so they they pressure them to to um to try and bypass the the sanctions and we know that the companies are not going to do it they're not going to risk losing the american market and and come under the sanctions which have been increasingly imposed even during these um, the last days, and Iran is, is pleading and saying we only want to sell our oil, and at the same time saying, well, there's no decrease in our export of oil when China alone cut by 60 some percent um, this, the, the exports over the last couple of months over what they were uh, uh, last year alone. And the, the, you know, the Iranians are continuing their activity in terms of support for Hezbollah and, and threatening with Hamas and threatening through other. Um, means, in fact, we see the Hezbollah now is giving orders to Syria's army and using it not only to spy on Israel. They're building these twenty lookout positions to to be set up, um, have been set up on the Syrian Golan Heights facing Israel, and each one is is manned by Syrian soldiers together with Hezbollah forces, and they use technology to listen to communications on the Israeli side and. Uh, the information is then sent to, to Hezbollah headquarters in 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 Lebanon. Uh, so they're they're moving all the time, and the the general ignorance or or ignoring it. The three way meeting I think was really critical, but hardly got any coverage. The fact that the national security advisors of Israel, Russia, and the U.S. met, while the Russians going into the meetings reaffirmed their support for the Iranians. Uh, the, I, I think in the meetings that they it's were support- talking about how you get rid of the foreign forces in Syria because Russia doesn't want them uh, there any more than anyone else does, uh, that, that, but had to sh- pay lip service at least in uh, in their public comment before the meeting. Russia reaffirmed the support for the Iranians? It did. Wow, interesting. Before they went, before the meeting began, and uh, you know, and everybody winks and nods. But the fact is that that is a public record, and it was also a message to the Europeans, you know, that they better come up with uh, some bypass. They had promised, as you know, to to sustain the JCPOA and right. come up but, with. But uh, b- before the three-way uh, meeting, for just for a second, back uh, back to the sanctions thing. Um, all this is going on with, at, while at the same time, European leadership is encouraging these companies to do business with Iran. Would that be a fair statement? As they continue to lobby for less sanctions and more activity with Iran, wouldn't they you know, turn the other way if, in fact, these companies went ahead and did business with them? They're encouraging them to do business. Right, exactly. Trying right. To, but the companies are not doing it. The companies recognize So even if they have European support, they're not, they're not what do we say, stupid enough? Yeah, to- and major, the major corporations, the car manufacturers, other things, then the amount of trade that Iran is doing externally is dropping constantly because they don't want to give up. You know the the trillion dollar economy for for Iran. Iran's economy isn't collapsed. You know the the purchasing power of of the real has dropped so significantly. The um, 
and the sanctions are, are really having an impact. So you, you have a lot of companies who, who, will buy, who, who will pass up the opportunity to, to invest there or to do business there because they know the, the, the price. And U.S., you know, has hit back at the, the Iranian um, militia, Hezbollah, and others with the cyber attacks. And uh, they talked about, you know, what the, their own forces, the um, Iran's proxy forces, are using. Um, and and you also, by the way, the Financial Action Task Force, which has been meeting um, and um, has been trying to pressure Iran into uh, action on money laundering and support for terrorism and, and called on international banks to keep tabs on, on Iranian banks. But they've given them now to October, after which automatically sanctions, I think, will, will be implemented and have to be voted on. But, you know, people's patience is running out with them. And the Iranians, meantime, don't cooperate, don't uh, uh, take seriously the, um, you know, the international sanctions and warrants that they take seriously the impact they're trying to get out of them uh but the things that they could take the steps they could take uh they don't so and you saw that how the idf has been engaged this week in a five-day exercise against the war with hezbollah and that means on ground underground uh missile attack very extensive five-day exercise using all the different security forces of of israel northern border or anywhere Primarily from the northern border, and because uh, of Hezbollah, but I mean, always about the south is is uh, something that's constant. But this, the, the magnitude of this, is an indication how seriously they take the threat that Iran could activate uh, either border, uh, south and north, but this one in particular. And in the national security three-way meeting, what was the message from the Israeli? national security team not the message to the u.s but more to russia what what was their directive what was their what were they most concerned about when speaking to russia about that region well i wasn't in the meeting but i uh, from what i know uh, the first issue would be to keep up to keep to live up to the promise to keep the iranians away from the border second a plan to get foreign forces i.e iran out of syria um, and maybe at the price of acknowledging and recognizing the Assad regime, you know, that Assad is the victor and remains in power, um, which would be a concession to, to, to uh, Russia, um, and uh, areas of, uh, in which they could cooperate against the spread of these forces, which threaten everyone's interests. Russia wants to maintain its presence in Syria. The Air Force, the, base, the Navy bases that they uh, acquired and have long-term leases on, so they they're trying to protect their interests, uh, as you saw that uh, the national security advisor Petrushev of of Russia spoke about that uh, they their interests because an attack on Israel, uh, where two million of our countrymen live, is something you know that their security of Israel is something they take seriously, et cetera, because of the presence of a large Russian and formerly Russian community. Uh, so the the agenda I think is pretty clear. It's also about what happens in the Gulf and the um, um, potential for, for how you secure the region. Uh, obviously, I think Turkey would be a, a subject of concern because we've had some clashes. But Russia has had clashes with uh, Iranians in Syria. And the, uh, you know, the, so their agenda, even if they don't publicly state it, does coincide with that of the U.S. and Israel in this regard. I know we asked uh, this last week, but then 
does a meeting like this, and I, I know you weren't there, et cetera, but does a meeting like this um, um, bring the message bring the message more to Russia that Israel's ready to step in military if necessary, or Russia doesn't need that message because they know it. This this, this meeting uh, indicates to Russia that Israel's ready to actually take action in Syria vis-a-vis Iran, or like I say, it just you know that that's a davar yadua, as they say. It's well, well, because it's actually it's happened. Uh, and uh, the Russians know it, everybody else knows it. They see the Israeli planes in the sky taking out the uh, shipments of, of weapons that Iran is uh, sending through Syria to Lebanon and um, has not generally interfered, although this week they supposedly the um, they, Israel believes the Russians um, interfered and were responsible for the disruption in the GPS service, in, uh, in, which affected aircraft, uh, in, in Israeli airspace over the uh, last month, and um, there were some warnings sounded about it. But they, they take seriously that Israel has red lines that can't be crossed. One of them was the uh, range that Russia, the Iranians are supposed to be kept out of. That was not honored. And the shipment of weapons, etc., that, that Israel can't tolerate, the, you know, tunnels. Uh, th- those red lines are well known, and all the parties agree. Look, the fact that it took place in Israel is in and of itself an incredible statement. I mean, who would have thought that the two great powers have to come together, coming together in this way would take place in little Israel. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web and on the Nachum Segal Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. By the way, that was my takeaway from Bahrain. My takeaway from Bahrain is uh, because, again, and I'll ask you this in a minute about the whole PA not being there and how on earth people judge this to be such a successful conference if they weren't there. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. My takeaway was, uh, you know, all these Gulf states and their leaders and business uh, people are praising Israel, are telling everybody in the world, in, in the, you know, with the attention of the press on them, are telling everybody they want to do business in Israel and they want to invest in Israel and they want to be side by side with Israel with their technology and, and you know going forward. I, that was my takeaway from that. That was the historic moment. That was where where I who who was not around at the um, at the establishment of the state of Israel. So I can't make that comparison about what was life like before and what it was like after. But I do recall the 70s, 80s, and 90s when you couldn't get leaders in the in that region to you know to make complimentary comments about Israel and certainly not publicly at the risk of whatever might happen to them and now in 2019 they're getting up there making public statements that we will stand side by side with Israel and move forward technologically and economically and I that was my takeaway from the whole conference uh, well some did the foreign minister of Bahrain actually made a very strong statement but Bahrain has had a Jewish community and and there's a synagogue there to which many people went, and I think it was an impressive picture of, uh, of Jason and some others with their tefillin on and uh, Thompson's tefillin davening. Uh, I think the the um, you know the Israel was not officially invited. No Israeli officials were there. Uh, um, General Mordechai was there, but he's retired and he was there uh, invited, I guess, as a get, uh, expert because he's the one who served in. Gaza and, and had conducted all the negotiations, but there were a dozen or so Israelis, businessmen and others who were there, and who told me that they were warmly welcomed and generally 
found it very um, hospitable and, and an important conference. The um, But you got to uh, answer that question. How could it be that a conference that's formed to help with the economic situation uh, among those, you know, the Palestinians, Gaza, etc., uh, and there's no PA leadership there, and they're all rejecting it, and they're all cursing out Israel. And there in Bahrain, they're talking about millions of jobs being uh, being established or being offered or you know ready to be given to people in Gaza. The whole thing looks like a joke when 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 nobody from that you know, you know there's nobody there representing them. There's no one there you know accepting this gift that's being offered. There were some Palestinian businessmen, and one spoke. Uh, but as you, you rightly said, there was no official representation. And the, I think that it is important that the Palestinian people hopefully are getting the message and know that they're being deprived of their rights, not by Israel, not by the United States, not by all the people that they blame, but by their own government, which is corrupt by any assessment that is has never passed up, uh, never taken advantage of any opportunity. And I've even said they never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Well, they missed another opportunity where even by their presence, by their contacts, by the um, uh, uh, taking advantage and, and discussing the offers uh, uh, that are being made. I mean, what did the PA do? It's not paying its electric bill. They owe, I think, the Israel Electric Company $554 million already, and Israel will start taking that out. They, they, their economic conditions are clearly uh, very troubling, and yet they, they, they uh, pass up the opportunity that they weren't there to promote peace, let alone prosperity. And, you know, they can argue with whether the deal is a good one or a bad one, but the fact is it's something that's on the table. And I think uh, Jared Kushner made a wonderful presentation, um, and people who were there on the ground um, said so. And, and as some said, they don't want to give up being the victim. They don't want to give up their misery. They, they How they could turn down a $50 billion economic opportunity. It's not just for them, it's Egypt, Jordan, others who were there, but that they, um, uh, that the people from Israel said that they felt normal being there. And, and at the same time, we see that the, the from Gaza this week, more than a hundred of the incendiary balloons have hit Israel, 20 yesterday. They're continuing at that rate every day. They do a lot of damage. They endanger lives. They endanger crops, and they endanger forests and homes. And that's their response to uh, an international community lining up, trying to be to be helpful and to promote, hopefully, peace ultimately by by um, economics. And everybody all along. I mean, there have been many approaches, and I don't know if this one will do any better than any of the ones in the past, but it highlights, I think, for, for rational people um, who, where the problem really lies, where, where the obstacle uh, is. And everybody agrees that if you, don't, uh, um, if you don't improve the quality of life, if you don't address those things that, are, that incentivize people to overcome the hatred, the you know, importunings to violence, etc., that um, you know, you're not going to be able to to make progress. And to hear that, you know, the the host foreign ministers say Israel is part of the Middle East heritage, and that Israel in in the whole region historically and the Jewish people have a place amongst us. That, as you said, is is in of itself um, a big change. I'm and uh, you know, we we are. And by the way, um, it, 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 at the beginning of your answer, you said that it's Palestinian leadership who aren't affording this opportunity for their people 
to take advantage of some of the stuff that they're talking about in the Gulf. And of course, you know, Israel is blamed for suppressing uh, for suppressing the people in Gaza when it's really their own leadership that's doing it. When 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 every candidate from the last two nights was asked in this newspaper article that I referred to, does Israel meet international standards of human rights? I I I fear to tell this audience what the majority of them said. Every one of them, in some way, is either subtly or directly blaming Israel for what you rightfully have blamed PA leadership for, and that's the impression. And this is, frankly, you know, going to be the attitude of whoever the Democratic candidate is. And this is, you know, and and, and this is a myth that has become very difficult to dispel. Frankly, that is true, and and they, you know, then then they will cite some Israeli source, you know, all they have to do is go to Haaretz and they will get the evidence that they need or uh, some publications here in the U.S. and, and some organizations. Uh, and and you see that uh, what Israel is doing all over the region, you know, that the PA, which really underscores uh, your point, has stopped financing the hospitals in East Jerusalem, the Makassed and Augusta Victoria, um, and even... Um, uh, the Al-Quds University in East Jerusalem requested to join Israel's Council for Higher Education. So they fired the lecturers, the PA fired the lecturers from East Jerusalem. And Sari Nuseba, who, as you know, has been long involved in negotiations, was appointed by Abu Dhabi as the head of the Economic Fund for East Jerusalem and has no connection to the PA because they know that that's, you know, a no, it's not going to go where they want. And they, they were complaining at the PA about the, the youth in, in um, East Jerusalem and elsewhere are connected to Ramallah, but they go there for restaurants. They don't participate in the demonstrations, the Global Day of Rage, um, and when the embassy was opened in Jerusalem and, um, um, and the tension also because they, they are afraid of what Saudi Arabia's intentions are regarding Al-Aqsa Mosque. And because when they were complaining about the conditions there, Saudi Arabia said that they will come in and fix it, but they want they want control. So they always look for the external uh, threat of Israel to excuse and exculpate them from every responsibility. And the fact that the candidates and the, and the media often and others are uh, you know with unnamed and unsubstantiated charges are there problems? There are always problems. But Israel is, in, in, is constantly under attack. It has to take steps to try to root out the terrorist infrastructure, which saves the PA, because without that cooperation, they would not last. And you would have Hezbollah cells dominating the whole West Bank. They're operating there all the time. Iran is trying to penetrate all the time. You can't imagine what it would be if it weren't for – they continue the um, – security cooperation. If it weren't for that, one can only imagine why. And the PA does it, not because they're concerned about Israel's security, but because it's their security that's at stake. Uh, all right, the election. <laughs> is there now going to be a second election? or Is there going to be a deal between the uh, Prime Minister of Israel and whoever is, is necessary to deal with in order to avoid an election in September? Yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> so... <laughs> What's the latest on this? Yes, I believe there will be an election because I think they ballooned this idea. They did a trial balloon to see what the reaction would be to canceling the election. Um, And uh, Netanyahu says it's still something they can do, and they have time. They can cancel it uh, in a couple weeks yet. Uh, But I think that their reaction, you know, was that 
it's it's manipulative. It wants you already declared the election. We see some changes in the parties. Merritt has a new head, Labor. We see Barack saying that he's going to form a party. We don't know if the right parties will actually come together in, in a election. So I think any effort to cancel the election right now is on hold, and they will judge. I don't think people are particularly anxious to have the election, and no, really. that was the sense I got when I was in Israel, and I met Prime Minister and others, um, the you know people are fatigued. They just went through an election. Now the uncertainties of the upcoming election, you know, many government functions and things, while they continue, um, are somewhat restrained because people are looking over their shoulder about what will happen in the election. Uh, talk about all sorts of configurations, which always uh, take place when and it's not the first deadlock we've had in, in Israeli politics. Uh, the average government lasts two and a half years. This one went longer, so I guess they have to pay double for the price. But the the um, um, I think the fatigue about it, the, the people questioning why it was necessary to have to go to another election, uh, anger at Lieberman, support for Lieberman, others, you know, questioning whether that he will increase support, decrease support, will they blame him for these steps? All questions in Israeli politics, but the fact is that until I would say you know Labor Day, like in America, people you know engage in the sport and there are headlines different days, but they're really not that focused. They're going to wait until you get closer to September 17th. With the sending of the trial balloon, does that tell us that Netanyahu is fearful that he could lose the upcoming election, and that's why he was, I don't want to say desperate, but to to a degree had some desperation to to try to cancel this next election. Well, I can't, uh, I did not ask him, so I can't say what he thinks, but some of the speculation is that, number one, the, the uh, uh, hope that the right parties, which lost um, a number of seats, I think three or four seats, because, you know, the votes that of parties that were excluded uh, are dropped, they're lost, and so they're saying that the, the coalition of the right could have been expanded had they come together, and we see right now the that they're still not able to form a united uh, uh, party, uh, the different components coming together so that the votes are not lost. But the, um, I think he, he, he is certainly raising questions that the outcome will be no different, meaning that they will get right now, the, it looks like the coalition of the right, I think the last poll was 59, was 60 without Lieberman. Um, and does Lieberman gain strength or lose strength? Where does a Barack party take from basically blue and white, but also some from Likud, it seems. Right. Uh, so there could be a realignment of votes, and it, it could come out uh, worse than the last election did. And I think he's constantly monitoring, and, and Netanyahu is a very smart uh, analyst. This has been proven to be a very... Was there uh, an official offer by Netanyahu to Gans to do this on rotation, and Netanyahu take the first couple of years as prime minister? He said no. He said there was no deal. And, they never made the and Ehud Barak is 77 years old, but I guess that doesn't stop anybody from running. We we saw that from last night. Look last night, <laughs> right. But uh, I, I don't know, you know, why he, 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 when he puts conditions that he wants to keep his position in the cannabis building business and his other business interests, uh, I just don't understand how you, you can't do that. You're running, unless you're running just to have a party and not be prime minister. Do you want to? Does he really intend to to pursue this? I have my doubts. All right, and finally, we got to address the uh, the activities of last weekend. You can imagine how people in this audience were somewhat disturbed when President Trump 
at the last minute in reaction to the drone episode, decided not to take any military action against Iran. Um, did you like or not like the way that was handled in the in the um, in in the public uh, forum? Uh, that you know, essentially Iran got the message that the U.S. was ready to take action and then backed off. I think that might be worse um, having it be be known publicly and heard around the world than if it would have been just uh, kept quiet there in Washington. There is a lot of feeling, uh, you know, we've seen the analysts and people assess always that Iran tests for weakness and if they perceive this, and I think Bolton's comments, others uh, made it very clear that they shouldn't misinterpret this. This wasn't a a decision made out of uh, weakness or or unwillingness to take the necessary action, but rather to give them a chance. Uh, The FATF has given them till October to come in line with the terrorism. That wasn't a a sign of weakness. It was a a measure, I guess, based on practicality. But you see the Europeans don't have the spine to really do what is necessary. I don't think that that was the case um, with the U.S. It is true that the Iranians could misinterpret it, but the fact the sanctions and new sanctions are being imposed, and they're doing a really effective job uh, on Iran. But again, you always have to think of how the message is received by the other side. It's not your intent. It's how do they um, to, how do they look at it? And I don't think that that option is off the table of some sort of uh, action. Uh, the president maybe, as he said, weighed the cost versus the what what the price would be uh, in terms of human life and um, what what the gain would be from such an attack. I mean, what why do you do think the he next wait- day? Why do you think he waited till the last minute like that? I really don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't understand in, in these uh, days and how decisions are made. But uh, on either side, by the way, Israel, the U.S., anywhere, uh, I, I do think that um, you know the president has shown determination, and you see that the that the mood in, in certainly the Democratic Party is to compromise to to and and the Iranian and encourages the Iranians just to believe that they can wait it out. You know, that that uh, they think in two years Trump won't be there and they will get the Democrats will go back and the U.S. will come back to the to the original deal, which benefited them uh, really significantly. And that's why the ongoing sanctions are so important, because they are taking a toll. We see it in the economic realm and other realms, uh, the internal situation uh, in Iran uh, as well. So, you know, Iranians... It's very important that they get the message that they're going to be isolated, that the international community, and, and, and that was another gain from Bahrain, that they saw the participation, even not at high levels, of uh, many of the delegations that the um, Egyptian Saudis, UAE, et cetera, et cetera, Qataris, all came uh, to the meeting itself. And this, the, all of these things are important, but I think Iran could, could certainly escalate and is threatening to do so, exposing, by the way, the stuff that was in the the files that Israel got, the archives, which substantiate the fact that they've never stopped their nuclear program and that they are in violation probably in many ways of the JCPOA. And the Europeans are not going to be on the spot. If they don't come up with a system, then the Iranians are saying, we're out, we're going to start breaking out of the uh, restrictions. It's a very serious time for them. You know, if our community, uh, especially in places uh, geographically that have, you know, strong Jewish presences, uh, if we don't start mobilizing when it comes to some of these local elections, then 
then we're really going to be <laughs> going to be frowned upon by our previous generations because uh, there are areas. And I'm referring obviously in terms of the Queens DA election. There are areas in Farakway and Queens that are uh, that have such large Jewish communities who were completely immobilized, uh, or at least that's the impression that I'm getting. Can, uh, can I, I don't deal so much with the local issues. Yeah, I know. But for the last, uh, just one second, the last thirty years, this has broader implications, and people not understanding, and the rabbis who demand all the time of us and who put pressure on us and did not do anything to mobilize their communities to come out in an election where a few hundred votes could have made all the difference, when now the implications will be to threaten people like uh, Elliot Engel, Hakeem, Meeks, anybody who, who was not in the camp of this, the extreme left factions, extremist factions, and it's not left, it's, it's extremists overall, and that we're empowering these forces. We, we had in, here in Brooklyn a race where... Thanks to the efforts of the FJCC, the Flatbush Jewish Community Council, led by Josh Mailman, many others, Costco Bennett, all of those who took the time to organize and put ads, they made the difference. And every political leader knows that they won this election by a greater percentage in terms of vote, even though the turnout was much lower. But because they mobilized and they, they made the effort, and people got the message that here you had somebody who whose backers and others and the person themselves supposedly were making uh, veiled anti-Semitic comments, talking about are you going to let the slum lords win? Are you going to let the Trump backers win? Are you going? And uh, I mean, it's something that has to be addressed as well when a high-ranking city official, uh, elected official, is making some of those comments in backing uh, the candidate who lost. Um, and the fact that in Queens, people didn't take that effort because it, it, this will have a ripple effect. It's going to empower uh, more races against those who, whose positions I think we would find much more acceptable and, uh, and be comfortable with, as opposed to people who, who are openly hostile in some instances. Well said. I thank you. Shabbat Shalom. We'll Shabbat speak shalom. Uh, Mir Tashem next week. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Really well said. If you, if, you, if you think you missed part of what Malcolm said, listen to it on the archives again, uh, it's, especially if you're a Jewish leader, if you're somebody who has the pulpit uh, with hundreds of Jews who are ready to, uh, to, to be mobilized if uh, given proper direction.